0: My wife, the lovely and feisty Carol Ann Williams, tells me to send you her best.
1: Well, I certainly appreciate that. And and I was trying to remember, I I know our relationship was uh, through the office, OBGYN, but I couldn't remember if I delivered babies for her or just kind of took care of her GYN uh, things.
0: No, no. Fill fill me in. Okay. First of all, let me fill in uh, the listeners and viewers who may be with us. Okay. This is Dr. Harold Burton. Uh, his his, uh, his friends and family call him Rusty. A few of us call him Captain Gyno, which we'll explain <laughs> as we go. But uh, Dr. Burton was my wife's gynecologist, starting about the time we got married, which was 1988. And uh, no, you didn't take care of any babies because uh, you, uh, what you did was she, uh, she had endometriosis, severe endometriosis, uh. and you did the... Uh, um, uh, what do you call it? You did the... Uh, ablation? Huh?
1: An ablation or hysterectomy?
0: Hysterectomy. Thank you. Very okay, good. good. I haven't had to think about that for a long time. So, yeah, Neither have I. <laughs> and I remember, we remember she was very much relieved when you told her that you were going to, in your words, you were going to uh, uh, take out the baby maker, but leave the playpen or something right. like that. <laughs> right. Which mean it wouldn't remove all personal function from her. That's right. Yeah. So uh, that's how we came to get you. Actually, she was uh, she she met you through a friend who was also one of your patients, and I've got to tell I always have to tell this story because whenever whenever you come up in conversation, perhaps it's not as often as you would think, right? But um, one evening we stopped in uh, Doctor Burton's office. Carol Ann had a uh, an appointment for an exam. We went in there and as always, I've always, I go in, you know, sit in the waiting room while she's getting her exam. And as always, there were like, I, you know, five or six women sitting in there, some of them visibly pregnant. Everybody, just men, just women, no men. And we were all sitting around reading New Parent Magazine. And uh, suddenly Dr. Burton sticks his head out and after Carol Ann's gone back into the office, you you stuck your head out into the waiting room and looked around and said, hello to everybody. I'll be with you as soon as I can. And you looked at me and you said, hey, how you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm fine. How are you? And you said, good, good. And you looked at me and kind of looked pleased with yourself. And you're yeah, yeah. Yeah, you really, really do look good. I said, okay, thank you. And then as you started to retreat back into your office, you turned to the rest of the room and explained to the ladies. You pointed at me and said, that's my first sex change operation. And you closed the door and left me there. Do you remember that? (laughs) You
1: know, I don't remember that, but it sounds like something I would do. And occasionally I'd get in trouble for that kind of thing. But usually people understood that I was a a jokester, a bit of a jokester.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't even say anything. You know, I I didn't know what to say, so <laughs> we just kind of let it go. Uh, I recently, I think I told you this when I talked to you before, not too long ago. I recently underwent uh, a uh, uh, colonoscopy. Colonoscopy. Thank you. Gosh. Yes, see I, what do my, huh? <laughs> I do remember that. Huh?
1: I do remember that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great conversation. I can't imagine the people that are checking this out. Uh anyway, and, and uh after I came out of it, the doctor was there and he was saying, Well, it went real well and blah, blah, blah. And Carol Ann asked the question that I refused to ask. As I said, this guy has probably heard this a thousand times, and I'm not going to insult him with it. But she asked, she said, How did you decide to take up this this specialty? You know, and he had a ready answer, because I'm sure he'd heard it a lot. He said, I was late to class that day. And uh, when I got there, they told me, you got butts. <laughs> and uh, that's how that happened. So I'm, I'm thinking you probably got the same kind of question. What made you go into uh, obstetrician? Was it OBGYN? OBGYN. Yeah.
1: Well, it's a little different. It's a little more, um, a little more complicated than that. Uh, <clears throat> my father died when I was 13. And there was a, another gentleman who happened to be a general surgeon in town and his his um, son was my best friend. And he came over and said, Rusty, anything you need, father, son, banquets, anything like that, I'm here for you and I'll take care of you. And he invited Doug, my other friend, and I into watching him do surgery occasionally. And I would always wanted to be a doctor. So I thought, gee, I want to be a surgeon. And that's what I really wanted to do. Um, when I got into medical school, um, which was Um, There's a story how I got into medical school, which is kind of funny, but when I got into medical school, um, my first uh, rotation um, on the services, as they called it, was surgery, general surgery. And there was a little kid um, named um, Johnny, uh, and my first rotation was at the end of June, so the 4th of July is coming up. Johnny was dipping his sparklers in gasoline to make them light better, and he got 90% third-degree burns uh, all over his body. And... The mortality rate with a third degree burn is essentially the percentage of burn you have. So he had a 90% mortality chance. And so the other medical student and I decided we would special this kid, take care of him 12 hours each. We did that for about about six weeks, and finally he died. And I decided right then I never, ever want to see another burn patient. But I do like surgery. And I kind of liked family family practice and I thought, well, you know, OBGYN, I can do gynecologic surgery and I can I can, you know, most back then women would come to their doc and if they had a sore throat, they'd call their OB doc because that's the only one they really had a relationship right. with. So I, I was kind of a family doc and a surgeon and that's why I went into OBGYN. Really had nothing to do with the gender of my patients, but uh, right. as it turns out, they're all, <laughs> all female. In fact, when I, when I married, my my first wife passed away. I think I told you that. Yes. And I got remarried to a, a cute little California blonde a couple of years younger than I Actually, she's uh, only 70 now. They almost issued an Amber Alert when I married her. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, she was concerned because her previous relationship had been marred by multiple um, uh, infidelities and things like that on the part of her. Mm her past husband, her husband, as she calls him. Uh, so, anyway, she said um, uh, she was very concerned when she found out what I did and we were dating and, and um, she had concerns about this and because her husband was a veterinarian and was taking out all the owners of the horses. And I said, well, let me ex- explain something to you. When you go to your dentist and your dentist is working on your bo- your, your mouth, do you think he has an insatiable desire to kiss you? No. <laughs> <laughs> She said, "Thank you. That explains that."
0: <laughs> so, so anyway,
1: that was. I thought you were going to say.
0: I thought you were going to say you told her. Well, when you've seen one, you've seen them all. No, <laughs> well, that's not true. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we won't go into we won't go into that. Yes. So anyway, you. I just finished up with my fiftieth um, reunion for medical school, Oh, really? It was it was interesting. It was the second actually it was two years ago because I, I graduated in 1970 and um, we had a we got to get up and, and tell stories and, and talk and things like that and it was it was really a, a lot of fun and I always tell the story about how I got into medical school and um, I don't know if you want to hear this or not but it is, yes please. I think it's worth worth listening to yeah um, when when uh, um, Back in the um, 60s, there was really no birth control readily available for people. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to have sex, you got married. Or if you did have sex, you got married. Those were the two rules. So I got married. (laughs) And um, a few few months later, I became a father. And um, um, I wanted my wife to stay home and take care of kids. And I was in school. I was a, a junior in college. And I just turned 21, so I got a job tending bar. And um, the bartending went well, and in and, um, uh, my my interview for medical school, they one of the questions they asked was, "What do you do in your spare time?" And I said, "Well, actually, I don't have any spare time because I didn't host." Mm-hmm. And they said, "Oh, everybody has spare time." I said, "You don't understand." I'm. I'm um, I'm married, I have a child, and my wife takes care of our child. And I'm, I work at the Howard Johnson's Bar and, and Grill, back when Howard Johnson's was around, uh, from five in the evening to one o'clock in the morning, six nights a week. And I'm going to school full time uh, and trying to, to keep my grades up. And uh, I said, Sunday afternoon after church, we we'll take a drive in the car. That's what I do in my spare time. Well, that evening, all three of the doctors that interviewed me were out at Howard Johnson's having dinner with their wives. And I'm sure they came out to check my story. I don't think they believed it. And I was there with my little red vest and everything on. They drank for free all night and I got into medical school. (laughs) I'm on the board of curators at the University of Missouri Medical School. And I tell that story to the younger medical students and they all get a kick out of it.
0: What what does a a curator do at medical school?
1: Not a whole lot. And I, I kind of complained because when I was going to medical school, I paid $500 a semester for medical school. Wow. Now I got through college with no debt. I worked my way through college and I had about a twenty-five dollars to $30,000 debt when I got out of medical school. Now these kids are getting out with a two and $300,000 debt. Yeah. And the tuition has gone up from, from $5,000 a semester up to about uh, um, $500 a semester, I mean up to about uh, $10,000 a semester for, for inpatients. Incredibly expensive and I can't really see why it's going up that way, and and, and the colleges in general are doing that, and it just makes me sick that these. Kids I have can't to pay I that can't
0: much. understand why why we have new doctors all the time. You know, well, why not how can people afford windows, to
1: do that? Not very many. I'll tell you what happens. Uh, now in my class there were 85 students in my class, and it was, there were two females, both of them very smart gals, and they they both did very well. Nowadays it's, it's 60 to 70 percent female in the in the classes in medical school and uh, I think the women have figured out that they don't want to be school teachers anymore because they have to work five days a week and sometimes on the weekend and in medicine they can get a job probably working three days a week pretty hard and make the same amount of money and so they kind of do that. Now that's not fair a lot of women are going to medicine because they really want to be a doctor and, and help people but <clears throat> It's interesting that, um, that we've got so many women in medical school and men. There's, there's, uh, Dave. There's really no. Oh, by the way, the did, did people, what your friends call you, Dave or David?
0: Both, usually Dave. Okay, David. It's only it's only Carol Ann, <laughs> and before her, my mother. And Carol Ann calls me David, but that's it. Okay, okay. Either way,
1: <laughs> either way. Well, anyway, now I forgot where I was going with it. Oh, the, the the
0: the, uh, there's no, school.
1: there's really no, no money in medicine right now. Um, m- most guys marry doctors because that's the only social life they have, is the other doc- the other medical student in their, in their practice. And so you see a lot of, of, of you know, two, two people. And then they've got a forty thousand dollar debt or four hundred thousand dollar debt. I mean, so how mm-hmm. they, how they do it, I don't know, but they, they do that. And um, but the, when I was in medical school, it was a majority of Jewish kids. And they used to, you know, you know the old, old story about um, when does life begin? And in a Jewish family is when my son graduates from medical school. <laughs> so anyway, um, the, the, the people that are really out to make a lot of money, unless they go into uh, plastic surgery or something like that, there's not a lot of money to be made in, in medicine. Because uh, usually they get out with that kind of a debt and they can't afford to start practice. So they go to work for a hospital somewhere and get paid, you know, 150 grand a year or something like that. And it takes a long time to pay off that kind of a debt at 150 Whoa, grand a year.
0: It sure would. So
1: that's, that's my story. But anyway, I started out and um, I got out and I decided, I well, first of all, I graduated from my... my um, uh, internship. You know, you go four years of medical school and then one year of internship, and then just look at specialties. And I was all set to become an obstetrician. And and the, the um, um, when I finished my internship again, I was married, and by that time I had two children. Um, and uh, I had never had a student deferment. My draft number was three fifty. This is during the Vietnam War. Yeah. I
0: got drafted. Got drafted. Number three uh, fifty. Yeah. Well wow. yeah. so it that must was, have been that must have been early. No, right the, I got
1: drafted because I was a doctor.
0: Uh, oh, oh, dra- oh, I, oh, gotcha. Okay. I called
1: yeah. my draft board and I got this African American lady on my on the other end of the phone and she shuffled a bunch of papers and she said, Well, let me explain something to you, Dr. Button. And I said, Okay. And she <laughs> said, We're drafting all the doctors. Okay. So I said, Well, that explains it." And then she's Tom, she said, nope. We're drafting all the man doctors. We don't draft the girl doctors. Oh. So
0: <laughs> that was then. So yeah. that was
1: then. Yeah, that was then, and it uh, certainly couldn't get away with that at this point. I don't think we can have a draft. You know, I went to Israel a few years ago, and they have a draft over there. Everybody was right. drafted for two years of service, male, female. If you're the, the daughter of the prime minister, you still get two two years of service of some yeah. kind for, for your country. So did it you go?
0: Did you go into the service?
1: I, I got yeah, I got drafted into the army, but because I went to the University of Missouri, which is a land grant school, we were required to do two years of ROTC. Um, and um, my the guys in my fraternity said you don't want to be in an army air ROTC because you have to polish these brass buttons. Go in the air force. They just they have just these silver buttons that don't have to be uh, polished on your <laughs> uniform. So I did that. So because I was too lazy to polish buttons, they gave me to the air force. They, the air force doesn't doesn't draft. They just get you know, uh, pick up and how the Army's draft. Right, right. Sent me to Utah, and I spent a couple of years there and broke my leg a couple of times skiing, had a good time, and then ended up, they offered me a residency, a four-year residency at Travis Air Force Base in Sacramento. I did that, got out, paid two years back for that, kept, became a U- Lieutenant Colonel, and uh, it was a little tempting to stay in, and because uh, I figured I could have been a general and you know, one of those guys, but I right. really wanted to. I really wanted to practice medicine, so that's when I, I got out and started my own practice.
0: So maybe I maybe I missed it. Uh, why? What was it that attracted you to uh, gynecology and? The, uh, pardon me. The surgery. I could still be
1: a surgeon, and yeah. not have to be a general surgeon. <laughs> that was the main thing. I, um, I see. And I could still be a family doctor as well, and, and I, I'd like to. Okay. I developed good relationships, and Caroline will attest to that. I really developed develop good relationships uh, with my patients, enjoyed every minute of my practice. Yeah. I, delivered, I delivered about ba- 8,000 babies in my wow. career. And I quit in um, around uh, the year 2000 because I had a little medical problem, um, a little medical problem. I have a, a completely blocked uh, internal carotid artery on this side from a blood right. clot. And so um, um, it's, that's called a stroke, David. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought it's not worth my, my life. I figured that, you know, babies are made at night and they're born at night. So I um, was up in the middle of the night too much and too, too much sleep. So I, I um, stopped delivering babies and just did only gynecologic surgery at that time and did that until I quit a few years ago.
0: I'm trying to figure I, out. Now, I remember uh, draft time in the Vietnam era. Because I'm not that much younger than a couple of years younger than you, Mm -hmm. so I was going through that too. But uh, I'm trying to figure out. And in those days, still, you know, the people they drafted were were young men. They Mm -hmm. didn't draft women, and there were very few women in the services. And I'm trying to figure out what a gynecologist would have done in the army. Well, in the
1: um, '60s, (laughs) not a whole lot over in Vietnam. So that was one thing that I I didn't think I'd go to Vietnam if I got in the Air Force. But on all the Air Force bases all the, all the soldiers have wives and yeah, all well, have to be taken yeah. care of. Yeah. So we did that. I, um, did a lot of deliveries, um, um, got a lot of things sent in from overseas for some of the wife, I think they call them WAFS, women's air force. Some of the right. WAFS that got, got right. sick at that time. Um, we were doing abortions and a lot of pregnancy terminations. And I, I did that uh, until it became, I remember when the, the government decided that the, that, they wouldn't be paid for by the government. I, we had about uh, five or six in over the Christmas holidays to get their Christmas abortion. <laughs> and, and so we we got them all done before the first of the year so that um, they'd be paid for by the government. We don't do not do that anymore. I don't do abortions anymore. It's not part of my life I'm proud of, but I did, and it's over. But, you know, I, I can't... I well, can't I was
0: just about to ask you how you view this whole uh, most recent flare-up of the controversy and the Supreme Court decision. You know, without getting into your politics i'm just curious as to how that affects you as a as a a former gynecologist and somebody who did did abortions you know there must be parts of the issue that the average person doesn't really understand
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Um, that's 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 correct david i uh, again i'm very conservative and i don't um, um, believe in late-term abortions at at all and i didn't do those Um, but the the abortion system is, is good for people, who, I think, even young people who, you know, 18, 19-year-olds year olds that um, have a career in front of them and they get pregnant by accident um, once. I had people coming back to me every six to eight months for their repeat abortions because they were using it as birth control, and I don't yeah. agree with that. I'm, I'm pro-life to the point that I, I, you know, again, I'm not Jewish, so I know that life doesn't wait till you graduate from medical school, but I think that that you know, when when you can see a 15, 16 week um, baby moving around, heart beating, and everything, that's that's a tough thing to ignore and, and to calm out life. So, um, but sometimes they're they're needed if in the, if the life of the mother is at, at risk, you know, from severe uh, preeclampsia or things like that that happened. Um, yes, I, I, I think it, it's it's certainly appropriate. I'm I am pro-life to a point, and I'm pro-abortion to a point, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle, but I am a little to the right of a of tim- the tim- tim- hun when it comes to the politics, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> figured you probably were. Yeah, right. Now, you, there was a time when I remember, um, and by the way, I probably haven't really made this clear as to how you and I became friends. It's like, why is this guy talking to his wife's ex-gynecologist? But Let me in-
1: explain that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I was going to the
1: um, there was a guy uh, back at that time uh, who was a, one of the gurus for nu- nutrition. And I can't remember his real name. But anyway, he labeled himself as Captain Carrot. You remember Captain Oh, Carrot? yeah, yeah, he yeah. Was, Gary oh, Nosler was his name. Uh, Gary Nosler, yeah, Gary Nosler. He was Captain Carrot. And I'm writing to work one morning after I had spent some time, because you'd come in with Carol Ann. And, yeah. and I'd always invite the husbands in to, to yeah. talk. And we'd joke around and everything. And then one morning you said, well... I saw Captain Gino yesterday, <laughs> so so you named me Captain Gino because of that, and I I still carry that moniker around. I'm, I'm in I'm, you know these football things that people do to my my moniker is Captain Gino. That's that's what it is. Is that so right? You gave me that. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's you gave cool. Me that moniker, and we uh, uh, people kind of in medical school that was what they
0: called me. I remember now that it was it was the morning after. The visit that I described earlier, where you stuck your head out and made that crack about me being your first sex <laughs> page, and the next morning I went on the radio and I addressed you as Captain Gino, and right. uh, I explained your your actual name and where your practice was, and I said I just wanted to, I just wanted to reassure those of you who may, uh, you know, if anybody's listening who might actually have an appointment uh, with uh, with Captain Gino this morning. Uh, my understanding is that by 10 or 11 o'clock, his hands stop shaking, and he's probably past the worst of his hangover by now, <laughs> Right, things like that. So
1: I do remember that. Yeah. I remember that. That was and We, yeah, we that wound was up so.
0: playing golf and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and more than that, um, I used to um, play the guitar, remember? That, that, yes. That little group that, that I was going to ask you about that. <clears throat> Um, Don Peterson, who was a general surgeon, we call him common surgeons now, but um, uh, as a general surgeon, he, he played the, the guitar and banjo and the, the um, hospital we were at was a private hospital at the time and they would have a fundraiser every year and it was, a, um, uh, they'd have kind of a talent show and everybody would come in and there was some real talent in that and the mm-hmm. nursing staff. Um, but Don and I got got labeled to, to come and sing and we were the... Um, um, but we name ourselves the, um, um, I can't remember the name. I'm, I'm getting old too. Um, but um, we, we sang songs like the first things in life are fees. And um, <laughs> um, the, the, the hemorrhoids song, there's a lot, uh, you know, that hemorrhoids always itch and always burn, hemorrhoids to the tune of detour.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the one and I said, remember is Got the Runs Again, Got the runs again. Got that, got fire, that fire between up. my buns again.
1: Buns again, yeah. Taking low modal by the tons again. Because <laughs> <laughs> I got the runs again. So that was made up. Uh, that I made that song up. But the, the hymn roll song and everything was made up by the, a group that loaned me money in Springfield, Missouri, the Green County Medical Boys and the Green County Medical Society. And they had money available to loan to doctors from Green County that were in medical school. And they made it all on selling these records and everything. So it was, it was really Really, kind of fun. Um, so, uh, but we asked. I asked you one time, could you come and emcee the thing? And you did it. You did it. Didn't charge us anything at all, and you were very, very helpful. And people loved to see you. And so, I think a fun. couple of times. I think you did that a couple of times for us. I think
0: at, it was in, a lot I'm of sure fun. And, it really was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and we had a good relationship, and, and it went on. I, I, you know, medicine. I just made a few notes here in the seventies to eighties was wonderful it was absolutely what I had expected I had good relationships with patients and 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 this kind of thing and we'll talk about malpractice in a minute here but uh, um, after the 80s when we started with what I call mismanaged care and and they call it managed care but the insurance companies got involved and all of a sudden the patients belonged to the insurance companies and not to the doctor's practice and uh, it was it's you know it was uh, disappointing they they told us how much we could charge patients um, they if we, we couldn't balance bill patients you go to the dentist you give them your your insurance and then they balance bill you but it doesn't pay um, but doctors can't do that and we all signed on to it we were, we were a little bit naive. you know they say doctors don't know how to manage money and they're probably right we, we really don't but that and then when computers came in and now you go to the doctor and if you're lucky enough to see a doctor they oh they renamed us all too. We're no longer doctors. We're now providers, and right. that was the worst. That was the worst thing that happened because you don't when you see a provider, you don't know if it's a nurse practitioner or if it's a, a medical assistant. You don't know. They're all providers, mm-hmm. um, but now they all sit and look at their their computers and sit and type while they're seeing you, sometimes with their back to you, if you see the doctor. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's the thing. My wife just had a colonoscopy and um, uh, she'd had some indications for it. And I went in to, to see the doctor who was this, this young man from the land of the elephants. You know, you see a lot of Indian men go into right proctology and I'm not sure why. But, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, uh, he never, we never saw the doctor. We saw the nurse practitioner. She scheduled the colonoscopy. I went with her to the colonoscopy because she'd been having some black stool. And I, that's, that's serious. And I, I, I wanted to talk to the doctor. And I went up and said, I need to talk to this doctor. I'm Dr. Burton. I would like to talk to Dr. So-and-so afterwards. And um, the nurse came out to talk to me. I said, I was going to talk to Dr. So-and-so. He said, he was in that too much for her. He's got busy practice. So I never saw the doctor. My wife never saw the doctor because she was asleep by the time he came in. That's not the way to practice medicine. It just isn't. So many doctors nowadays, I don't know when's the last time you had a physical, but doctors don't touch patients anymore. They just don't,
0: you know. Well, no. As a matter of fact, I, I I had my annual physical just a few weeks ago, and uh, uh, there's the <laughs> doctor that uh, our general practitioner we've been going to for a couple of years. Um, I've only met him twice. Uh, I don't care, you know the the uh, physician's assistants fine with me, you know, as long as there's nothing going on that uh, of any great concern. But mm-hmm. yeah, it does strike me as I always figured that it must be uh, the way they have to manage their business because of overhead and malpractice insurance concerns and and that sort of thing. And, you know, just for the efficiency of the office. So now we've got a couple of PAs and one doctor, and I don't exactly know where he is in all of this, but, you know, so far so good.
1: He's got a stable, he's he's over overlooking. <clears throat> Let's talk about malpractice
0: for a minute. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> um, did you, you've, have you had a teenage son? Oh, sure. Yeah. And what did you have to pay for his automobile insurance when he was 16, 17? A lot. A lo- yeah, a lot like, yeah, a lot. A because lot. Because he was a bad driver. The right. 17, 18-year-olds are not, they're more of a risk. Right. So malpractice insurance, kind of, you know, if you look at it, it means the really bad doctors go into orthopedics, neurosurgery, oh. obstetrics, and gynecology. And the really good doctors go into dermatology or uh, allergies and things like that. So it's really not malpractice insurance. It's maloccurrence insurance. Oh. so they And they, they should call it that. But, you know, it's, it's it, I mean, I've been sued for maloccurrence. I had to l- deliver a baby with, with Missing a finger on his hand, and and uh, I had to go to court and explain to the to the jury that fingers are formed at about fifteen weeks, and this this baby when I had given her some um, heparin because she had a blood clot in her leg which could kill her, put her in the hospital, and I gave her heparin at about twenty weeks, and so I said, so you're telling me that the heparin made the finger fall off or something, I guess, which it doesn't do that. Um, in fact, it was only in dogs that the heparin thing was done. So really it's, it's maloccurrence insurance. Mm. Um, and the other thing I, I've done, a, I had a foreign a, a exchange student with me and his father he was from, from the Netherlands. His father happened to be an OBGYN doctor. We had a lot of conversations, and he invited me over. There was some procedures that I used to do that um, they don't do in Europe very much called an endometrial ablation, where you go in and cauterize the lining of the uterus so mm-hmm. there's no more periods. You can do that instead of a hysterectomy and save people a lot, of, a lot of time and energy and money. So I went over to teach these, these doctors over in the Netherlands, so we, and we stayed up one night probably all night long, with a bunch of gynecologists drinking, having a great time after the, my, my course to them. And they pointed out to me that uh, contingencies uh, fees, contingency fee. you see these things on TV, there won't be any charge to you unless we win your case. Right. And that what they're, what they're gonna do is to take 40% of whatever you win, or usually it's, it's 25 to 40%. Contingency fees in Europe are not only unethical, they're not allowed against the law. They don't do that. If we had no contingency fees here, there'd be, and they encourage people to sue people. Right. You know? and if we had contingency fees, no contingency fees here. But who makes the laws in this country? The Congress. And, and who's in the Congress? Just lawyers. So yeah. that, that's a problem. Um, I've got something written down here about funny stuff. And um one of them is a one of the things I wrote down was gender, and the other thing I wrote down were tattoos, and so I thought it might we'll get Good. Saved, I'll, I'll get unserious here again.
0: Yeah, well, let's
1: take if when I went into first started my practice, I'd been there about about maybe four months, and I went into a an office. I was renting an office, and there was a, a an internal medicine doctor, a, a very. A, relatively old Asian man who had a funny sense of humor, I won't give his name because uh, I think he's still practicing, but um, he sent over a patient to me, a little old lady, for pap smear. And um, so my my, my receptionist, uh, my, the lady gal that helped me was uh, probably 25, 30 years older than I was. Her name was Lucy. I don't know if, I don't know if Lucy was still with me when you, when you were there. But this person sat up on the um, on the table, was draped and everything, and um, put her feet on the stirrups, and I lifted up the to do her pelvic examination. She had a penis and, and testicles. Oh, oh! And I said, um, I think you're in the wrong office. And she oh. said, No, I'm in the wrong body. I I want you to do something about this. Oh my! This. <laughs> and. Dr. What's his name? it sent it over, I think, it's a joke to me. So anyway, we sent her down to San Francisco, him, whatever. The other the other interesting gender thing that I had come in was a, a, a gentleman that I knew, I had delivered his wife's baby with him. And he came in, As I started doing hormones later on at the end of my practice, and he came in and wanted um, female hormones. And I said, and with what I thought was his girlfriend. Um, and we talked about it. And, and I said, well, um, I don't really do that. I said, but so you you uh, you feel that you really are a woman. And, and I, I I accepted that. I appreciated that in some people. Um, and he said, yes, I, I really am. And I, I need to do something. I said, but you've got a, your girlfriend here with you. And he said, oh, we're lesbians. <laughs> so. I said, okay. So, you know, you have to you have to get all this stuff. The joke is, when a baby's born and they say is it a boy or a girl, you say, oh, you have to wait till the fourth grade to find out. I right. <laughs> <laughs> can't say.
0: I was wondering. Tattoos. I was wondering oh, about that too. Your 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 views on uh, the whole gender dysphoria thing and and uh, the way so many people. It just seems like suddenly all these young people. Uh, have decided that they're you know pick pick one of 30 different gender names now and it's something people your age and my age don't get it and i'm ju- i'm trying i'm still trying to understand it's like you can be whatever you want as far as i'm concerned it doesn't make any difference to me it's your life but uh it makes it very difficult to to learn how to address people and how to deal with them and that sort of thing uh you know the world's changing big time, Doc. How do how do you feel about all that?
1: Well, I'm I'm not into this pronoun thing at all. I I, I yeah. call people you know um, what I think they are, but um, and as far as the, the gender, if when you're. 16, 17 years old, 18 years old. And uh, I went to Mizzou, I, I ran the hurdles at, on the CREP track team at Mizzou. Um, I, I joke around and say, I was the fastest white hurdler in the state of Missouri my senior year in high school. <laughs> I was the only white kid in the finals of the higher low hurdles. And the, co- the coach gave me a little scholarship, not much, but a small one. But anyway, the, um, I'm not in favor of this 18 year old kid who runs the hurdles, deciding he's really a girl. And wants to go and run in the Olympics, and and will, I could have won the Olympics, the female Olympics, no, no question about it. But I'm I'm opposed to that kind of usage for, for this. Um, there are some very comfortable. Uh, my brother was a homosexual, and, and uh, he he ultimately died of AIDS. Um, but he you know he was a good guy, and, and uh, I loved him, and he was he was just my brother, and he was smart, smarter than I am. Um, but I'm okay with that kind of thing. But just waiting. And deciding you are one thing, I have a a, a, a niece who decided she was really uh, lesbian, and then she decided she's really not. You know, and they kind of go back and forth. And we're encouraging mm-hmm. all that with all this stuff that's in the news and everything. And uh, you know,
0: there's a lot of people that say, that think that this is more of a trend than anything else. You know, that I think it's a way to get to get attention. I, I think yeah. a lot of people think they can get
1: attention that way. And it's but who am I to who am I to say?
0: Well, we just had um, we were just talking about it this morning, you know in the in a news aspect that uh, the governor of Oklahoma has said uh, he's going to he's he's just declared it uh, illegal for for uh, very young people, teenagers, to get uh, uh, gender reassignment in any fashion of uh, surgery or or hormones or anything of that nature because the big fear is that, uh, you know they're 15 16 years old and in a few years they're going to regret that and mm-hmm. it's going to really make for a major mess in their lives that they can't undo
1: well i agree with that and you know you can't buy alcohol right under the age of 21 i think probably 21 is a better age to, to make that by then you know they can screw up their life if they want to i don't know but i think that these ones these grade school people teachers that are telling their, their kids that they're really the wrong gender and we, we all saw kids in school when we were growing up that we knew were kind of fairies I think we used the word fairies you know that it was one of the words yes it was yes yes yeah. and that's I, I, but I, I think they're probably waiting until they are of age when I got married I was uh, 19 my wife was 18 I had to take my mother with me to sign for, for me because I had to be 21 as a guy. If you were a girl, you could get married at 18, which was kind of interesting. So anyway, I'm retired now. And um, that's that's kind of a problem for me, Dave. I, I enjoy what I do. I, I we moved My wife and I moved out of California for lots of reasons, and I don't need to go into all the reasons, but it had to do with politics, it had to do with water, uh, had to do with uh, cost and things like that. Um, in fact, she called me one day at the office. This my new wife. Uh, today's my anniversary, though.
0: Oh, how many you know, years?
1: Not enough. <laughs> I always, I always would tell my my patients when they bring their husbands in, and anytime somebody says, "How long have you been married?" Yeah, the only right answer is not long enough. That's great. And if there's other women around, they'll all say, Oh Yeah. Of and, course. and you'll probably get lucky that night. <laughs> so anyway, we're we're having our eighth, eighth, eight year anniversary today. So we're gonna go out to dinner tonight. Happy anniversary. Have a good time. Dinner's Thank religions. you. Thank you. And it's been it's been great. But we she called me at the office and she said, We're gonna move to California to Missouri, and my, all my family lives here, she just got noticed that there was the water shortage. They were going to limit us And the, the neighborhood that we lived in, uh, called Gold River. I don't know if you've heard of Gold River or Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. We yeah. lived in Fair Oaks and, right across the yeah,
1: They were going to... Uh, Fair Oaks has got lots of people camping out on the streets now, by the
0: way. Do they really? Oh,
1: oh yeah. It was horrible. But anyway, they, they were going to limit us to 52 gallons per person, per day of water. And that's to water your yard, to do your laundry, to take your showers, to flush the toilets, 52 gallons per person per day. And a huge fine if you went over that. Um, and they, they checked with their water meters. And Janie said, you know, first of all, I don't have to comply with that. But secondly, this is going to really affect the, the value of our home. And so. Yeah. Um, I moved in with her so it was like her home and it was paid for and all that stuff so mm-hmm. she said uh, I, we're going to move to Missouri. She put the house on the market it sold the same day and she bought a house here in um, Chesterfield in St. Louis where I live online um, and it's perfect. It's just absolutely perfect. We got a swimming pool in the backyard and uh, it just just fits us perfectly. My little sister here lives here. And she came and looked at it and she said, yeah, you better buy this right away because it's going to go in a hurry. So we did. So so we got back to that. But okay. when we were here, I was still do- I, I had several thousand patients who still consider Dr. Burton their doctor. Right. And, you know, the, the doctor patient relationship is one thing, but the, the gynecology patient relationship is a whole other thing. You know, patients. I don't want to say they fall in love with you, but but you're the you're the one they want to see, you know. Yeah, and that's just just the way it is. And, yeah. And um, and I wanted to not to de- desert them, so I started doing the hormone business. It was bioidentical hormones. We would rub them. They'd have the uh, compounding pharmacy would make up a cream that with estrogen and progesterone or whatever, and they would rub it on their arm every night before they went to bed or whatever. And they don't have to take pills. And because it's transdermal, not oral, there is no increased risk of breast cancer and it was very safe and it made everybody happy. They didn't have their hot flashes, they still had the vaginal lubrication, they still had all the stuff they needed to be um, good people, good wives and, and good sexual partners and everything. So um so I kept doing this online um and because you don't really you know i I had access to their records by the electronic medical record and all that i really didn't have to do any any examination we just went through and talked to them and i would refill their medications and they needed to see me i think every six months or something on the refills and we would do that and we didn't take insurance we just i think i charged 100 bucks a visit or something which is is not very much to do (laughs) and patients loved it and finally i just just got tired of it. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And, and I sent everybody a list. I, I had a night name of a person in Sacramento that would take care of them. And so over, it's been a year now. It's a year in September that I haven't done anything, but, you know, work around the house, play. I, I'm a golfer. I like to play golf. I go, I go to the gym three or four times a week. I'm down to 197 pounds and uh, uh, in good shape. So I feel good and I'm having a great time of it. Um, but uh, retirement is not uh, not something that I, I really what I, I thoroughly enjoy deliver, uh, delivering medical care to people and, and mm-hmm. talking to them. Um, and I, I said things in my office that most doctors are afraid, afraid to say. I would say, tell me more about that. Oh. Doctors don't want to do that because <laughs> they're in a hurry. They got fifteen minutes to see the patient. I right. took my time. I, you know, I, I wasn't on that that kind. Of, I didn't work in yeah. the hospital. I didn't yeah. have to do it. So, I've I've got no regrets in what I did in my medicine practice, and happy as hell that I did it. I would encourage mm-hmm. people to go into it, but not for money. It's not, it's, it's not a, a money thing.
0: You uh, you have the time now to oh. do something that you told me thirty years ago that you were going to do, and that was to write a book. <laughs> I remember well, you I had still- you had a great title have- for the book. Do you remember that? Uh, had to do with a uh, a woman that you did surgery on and you found a rare gem. Oh, yeah, of, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I found a, a, I think it was a diamond.
0: Yeah. In, in, in her uh, uh, abdomen. And the book was going to be called a diamond in the month. How did
1: that no, no how did that get in there or a diamond in the how did that get in there or something like that? Yeah. Uh, I, I remember gold. it both ways, but
0: yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I've never I've never sat down and accomplished that. I read I read voraciously. I love to read. And uh, um, but writing I, I don't spell very well. And I don't when I took typing in college, in high school, I mean, I knew that I wouldn't ever use my typing because I'd always have a secretary.
0: Uh. <clears throat> so <laughs> Well, doggone, I thought you were serious about that book.
1: That's something to think about. It's <laughs> some, some some of the chapter headings I remember, though, one was how did that get in there? Yeah. Uh, you know, you'd, you'd do an exam and there's something sitting up in the vagina that's not supposed to be there, you know? <laughs> and I've had that happen. Or, or, and then the other was tattoos I've known, uh, which is kind of <laughs> a, some of the funny tattoos that, that I've seen, um, um,
0: you know, that probably not. How did how did that diamond get in there? Do you it, where was it in, in her? Uh,
1: it was in her in her peritoneal cavity inside the belly. See, I'm a guy. Blood. I don't
0: know anything about the female.
1: Okay. Body. Well, I was doing a hysterectomy on her. Yeah. And. Um, um, we, we've got a hole in their, in their belly, go through the muscles and open up the belly, the peritoneum, which is the inside lining. And you see intestines and uterus and everything there. And we pull all the intestines away. And there was the uterus and uh, attached to the fallopian tube in the uterus was a little diamond, oh my a gosh. very small little diamond. And I am... Um, um, my partner at that time was a pathologist, Gary Bostrom, and he um, uh, he was a gyn pathologist, so he was assisting me at the surgery. And he he when the surgery was over, he took it down to the to the um, pathology department, and they they agreed that that was was in the in the belly. So what I think happened was she had had um, a, a um, surgery for appendicitis or something years and years earlier and it was probably mm-hmm. one of the little diamonds out of one of the nurses um uh, glasses i don't think it was a real diamond but uh-huh. anyway <laughs> but i was in I, I got it that was i was published for that one and one of these funny magazines what do they call them um, the, the the title of it was shocked duck seeks cancer finds diamond <laughs> and it was, it was a, you know those, those magazines that have all those, the funny stuff uh, not funny yeah. stuff but things that, yeah. that you, know, you can't believe but anyway she, um, she we were we were testing her for um, she had a lot of pain and she needed a hysterectomy because of the bleeding she was having and everything and I walked out into the waiting room and I said um, to her husband I said, well I've got some good news and I've got some great news." And I said, the good news is we found a diamond inside your your wife's pelvis. The great news is she doesn't have cancer. And that was good. So he was happy with that. But, you know, we can't really do that and go out and tell people what their, their diagnosis was anymore, because now we have to wait till it's there on the patient's chart and the electronic record and the insurance company knows before we actually can say that this is what happened. It's just, Seriously? It's just crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, the insurance company doors. has
0: to find out before the patient does?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or if, 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 if and I don't know what the reasons for that are, but and, and that may just have been in, in California. California's got a lot of strange rules, by the yeah. way, that, that they have. In fact, when I went through medical school, they told me, be careful what you write on a patient's chart. You don't want to write this fat hairy lady in the chart, you know. You can say overweight here suit lady. <laughs> but anyway, uh, they said because these charts belong to the patient. They're not, they're not your charts, they're the right. patient's chart, and they can have them and read them anytime they want. Well, when medical records came along and the insurance companies started getting involved and the hospitals started getting involved and they had all these drop-down menus and we had to, for everything we ordered, we had to say why we ordered it. And there's reasons why the hospitals wanted it because they can charge for everything that way. And the insurance companies the same way, but um, the, I was not allowed. My wife was dying from a lymphoma and polycystic kidney disease. I was not allowed to look in her record, even with her permission. As, as a physician, I couldn't look in a record. Um, I looked in one of my yep. grandson's yep. records one time because he'd been uh, broken a leg and they didn't live um, they they didn't live close by, and I wanted to see what what the pathology was. And it was, but they called me and said, "Why are you looking in this little boy's record?" I said, "It's my grandson, and you're not supposed to do that. You don't have any right to look in that." I couldn't even look in my own record because. They the insurance companies and the hospitals and the medical records. Medical records are are great and they're awful, all at the same time. They, it's, it's I don't know what to do about it. I just I don't I, I don't understand
0: it. why you can't look at your own records. I don't understand why you can't look at your wife's medical records, especially as you're a doctor. But as you said, even that's irrelevant. They belong yeah. to her, and as that's long right. as you, you've got her permission, what? How, how you know, does that stand up? Well, they, the, the,
1: the people who run the medical records, is a hospital, and they, they don't want patients getting into their own records because they're afraid they might change something. Oh. Uh, I think. I'm not sure what it
0: is. But, and they, well, I can uh, understand the motivations, I guess, for the, for the uh, hospitals to try to keep that stuff out. But, but legally, they just how can they get away with it? Dave, I don't know. Uh-huh. And, but but they are getting away
1: with it right now. And, and it's, I think it's, it's due for a change. I just talked to a buddy of mine at my 50th reunion, and he had nothing but bad things to say about medical records. And he was one of the smarter guys. I was not the smartest guy in my class, by the way. You know, they say the, the, um, the, top, the top third of the class make the professors and stuff like that in the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the middle third usually make the best doctors, and the lower third usually make the most money. So I was, I was in the middle third. <laughs> so wow. anyway, well, listen, my hearing aids are ringing in my ears right now, and I'm getting all your your voice through. my. I'm either going to have to change batteries or we're going to have to tie this up. Why let's let's tie just... it up, Dave, and let's do this again sometime. Okay. I'd love to talk to you. And then That's maybe great. in a year or two, you can find out what I've done with my my spare time. And maybe okay. I'm on the choir in my church. I still sing. I'm a tenor, and um, uh, we're doing a lot of things with them. Um, going to the church to do um, um, things for the church and and stuff like that. Um, I'm not a born again Christian, but I am very much uh, a believer. So that's, that's what I'm basically doing right now. And I'm deeply in love with my new new wife and we're going to live together for a long time. And I think she'll probably outlive me. So I'll have somebody to take care of me. So that's good.
0: (laughs) I don't know if you can hear me. I'll just say one last thing based on what you just said. And that is that, you're an inspiration to me because I know, I know how just, much you, I know how much you loved Susie, your first wife. Uh-huh. Yes, and now to see that you are equally so in love with your second wife is very inspirational to those of us who are getting to an age where we fear uh, one of us is going to be left without the other. Will Will I be able to make it? Yeah, and uh, you're proof that yes.
1: Well. Uh, yeah, my, I don't know if you remember Kathy Taylor, my nurse practitioner. Her parents both died together when they were like 75 years old in a car wreck. And oh, I always yeah. thought well, maybe that would be the best best way to go. I always will often wonder what's going to happen when I get to heaven. If I do, and I think I will. Uh, and I've got these two women up there, but I think they'll probably, everybody will get along up there and yeah. it will be fine. So that's that's it. Well, I'm going to say goodbye to you. Dad. All right. Give Carolina a big uh, a big hug and a wet sloppy kiss for me, if you would. And, uh, okay. uh, and be sure to call you. me again anytime you want to do this, and we'll do it again, and I'll try to All get right. my, my batteries, my hearing aids doing.
0: Thank you, Doc. Thanks hey, for You listening.
1: salute the captain, remember? You
0: betcha. Okay. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> See you later.